0: It's Thursday, March 21st. Welcome to our new podcast, Skim This. Every Monday through Friday at 5 p.m., we're breaking down the biggest, most complex stories of the day and giving you the context on why they matter. Today, we want to talk about freedom of speech, specifically on public college campuses. President Trump signed an executive order today that could put their federal funds at risk. We'll connect the dots on how this has become a growing issue. Then, New Zealand is getting serious about gun control, We'll dive into what their new weapons ban means. Finally, we honor an actress whose latest role is absolutely thrilling. We're here to make your Thursday smarter. Let's skim this. Spotify now has hundreds of thousands of podcasts, and they're all free. Yep, with the free Spotify app, you can listen to all your favorite music and podcasts, like Skim This. Download it today and get your podcast kick on Spotify. The most complicated story of the day is about free speech on college campuses. President Trump signed an executive order about this today in the White House East Room. His order does two things. One, it tells the government to collect more detailed data from colleges on how much debt their graduates have and how much they earn. And two, it tells federal agencies to tie funding for public colleges to how strongly they uphold the First Amendment, a.k.a. free speech. Universities that want taxpayer dollars should promote free speech, not silence free speech. So why does the president think we need an executive order to enforce freedom of speech on college campuses? That's what we're getting into today. One, how college life complicates the idea of freedom of speech. Two, what incidents have happened recently leading to this executive order. And three, what colleges and freedom of speech advocates have to say. Okay, so how does college life complicate freedom of speech? We all know freedom of speech is a right guaranteed in the Constitution. But there are rules. You can stand on a soapbox yelling all the terrible slurs you like, but you can't harass somebody, and you can't threaten or incite violence. What constitutes harassment and inciting violence? That's decided on a case-by-case basis. And someone else's right to free speech ends at your front door, physically and metaphorically speaking. You can kick out racist language at your party or in your private business or on your blog. This is important to understand when it comes to the debate over freedom of speech on college campuses. We're talking about public colleges that receive federal funding, not private colleges which have more flexibility in limiting speech. So that brings us to part two. Why did Trump make this move today? Public universities have always been a hotbed for free speech debates. It used to be that the students were more liberal than the conservative faculty or college administration. But according to surveys, college professors and administrations are now more liberal than many of their incoming students. And conservatives say that's limiting the freedom of conservative ideas on campus. President Trump started paying close attention to this two years ago. When masked activists at the University of California, Berkeley, set fire and threw stones, protesting an event with the right-wing writer, Milo Yiannopoulos. The university police canceled the speech. A few months later, when groups threatened to protest a speech by conservative commentator Ann Coulter, Berkeley canceled her talk, too. They said they couldn't provide enough security, The conservative student group sued and later settled with the university, which agreed to consider changing its policies on when to allow certain events. And then last month, a conservative activist, Hayden Williams, was punched in the face when he tried to recruit at Berkeley for his conservative political training organization. President Trump brought him on stage at the conservative political action conference last month. Ladies and gentlemen, he took a hard punch in the face For all of us. Remember that. He took a punch for all of us. Williams posted an invite to today's signing on his Facebook page. Which brings us to part three. What are colleges and freedom of speech advocates saying? Public research universities say that free speech is part of their core values, that they've had to balance being fair to everyone while also creating an environment that allows for the sharing of ideas, even ideas that not everyone agrees with. The president of the University of Chicago, a free speech advocate, said earlier this month that this executive order opens the door to too much government oversight, too much power to interfere with campus issues. Other education advocates say that this executive order is just another way for people to stir up controversy on college campuses. Williams, for example, was on the Berkeley campus, but he wasn't a student. And some universities have faced backlash, even when they've hosted conservative speakers, The University of Minnesota was sued for rejecting requests for a larger venue for an event with conservative speaker Ben Shapiro. Freedom of speech advocates say an executive order like this won't help solve the bigger problem. The ACLU says universities should be defending everyone's right to be heard, and create a climate of dialogue to deal with controversial topics. So what's the skim? On a global level, this executive order is coming at a time when lots of places around the world are grappling with freedom of speech. Countries like Germany and France, which have long supported freedom of speech, are starting to crack down on hate speech in ways the U.S. isn't. In the U.S., this executive order is just the latest case in which the Trump administration is fighting for conservatives on campus. Last year, the DOJ started inserting themselves into cases across the country in which young conservatives felt like colleges weren't backing them up. But the administration's record on free speech is far from consistent. President Trump has openly criticized football players like Colin Kaepernick for kneeling silently in protest during football games and pushed the NFL to force them to stop. And for you personally, it's important to keep in mind that while freedom of speech sounds great in theory, it's not always pretty. And just because it's legal to say something doesn't mean it's always right. Another government intervention we're watching is in New Zealand on the issue of guns. That's coming up next. So here's something you probably already know. Spotify has millions of songs and playlists that help you make it through your AM commute, your PM commute, and everything in between. But here's something you might not know. Spotify also has hundreds of thousands of podcasts, and they're all free. With the free Spotify app, you can listen to all your other favorite podcasts, like ours. Download it today, and start getting into podcasts on Spotify. We said she might, and then she did. Yesterday, we highlighted New Zealand Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern, right before she announced that New Zealand would ban semi-automatic guns and high-capacity magazines. Those are the weapons that were used in the attack that killed 50 people at two mosques. Ardern says her government will also ban assault rifles, and is ready to drop $140 million to buy back weapons from people who turn them in. I absolutely believe there will be a common view amongst New Zealanders those who use guns for legitimate purposes, and those who have never touched one, that the time for the mass and easy availability of these weapons must end. A lot of people were wondering how she got that done so fast. So today, we're going to break down three things you need to know about this new law. First, here in the US, when people say gun control, gun rights advocates say Second Amendment, our constitutional right to bear arms. The NRA, a.k.a. the main gun lobby here, is really passionate about protecting that right. In New Zealand, there is no equivalent to our Second Amendment. They do have a gun lobby group, and its goals are similar to the NRA's. And in the last two decades, it's defeated several attempts to tighten gun laws. But the gun laws in New Zealand are already stricter than here in the U.S. Gun owners need to take safety courses, and police background checks can include a home visit to make sure the weapons are being stored properly. That brings us to the second thing you need to know, which is that this proposal has support from all over the political spectrum. There are an estimated 1.5 million guns for less than 5 million people in New Zealand. Many gun owners are farmers and sports enthusiasts who live in rural areas, so you might think they wouldn't be super thrilled by the change. But the farming lobby supports the ban. It's worth noting that two classes of guns commonly used for hunting and stock management on farms are not included. And the main opposition party in the government says they're okay with it, too. Okay, but the third thing you need to know is that getting rid of these guns might not be as easy as it sounds. Like we said, there are an estimated 1.5 million guns in New Zealand. But it doesn't have a national registry of all those guns, so they can't exactly knock on people's doors to find them. For now, they're just hoping people will come forward. In many ways, New Zealand is modeling itself after Australia. After 35 people were killed in a mass shooting there in 1996, the Aussies banned automatic and semi-automatic rifles and shotguns and turned over more than 600,000 guns. One key difference so far is that Australia set up a gun registry, so they were able to buy back guns whether owners wanted them to or not. Murder rates dropped, and so did suicides. The good news, dozens of guns have already been surrendered in New Zealand, voluntarily. So there's hope that this could work in this case, too. We've been honoring a bunch of different women throughout Women's History Month here at The Skim. With the new Jordan Peele movie, Us, coming out tomorrow, we had to honor Lupita Nyong'o. They won't stop until they kill us. Yikes. Nyong'o plays a mom who fights off deadly doppelgangers trying to F up her family vacation. You probably remember Nyong'o as the fiercely independent fighter in Black Panther. Or when she won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress back in 2014 for her role as Patsy in 12 Years a Slave. It doesn't escape me for one moment that so much joy in my life is thanks to so much pain in someone else's. And so I want to salute the spirit of Patsy. We salute you, Lupita. Is there someone in your life who you want to salute? Just like last week, we want your nominations for Woman of the Week, Leave us a voicemail tonight telling us about a woman who you think shows spirit and is a real fighter. Our phone number is in the show notes. It's 646-461-6370. Call in and you might get to hear your voice on the show tomorrow. Before we go, we've got a fun fact for you about the NCAA basketball tournament. But this one isn't coming from the court. It turns out that watching the games in the comfort of your own home is a great way for guys to recover from a vasectomy. Urologists say they see a rush in men asking for vasectomies during the NCAA tournament. In fact, vasectomies in March are so popular that urologists offer discounts or use marketing like the ball is in your court or Vaz Madness. Buffalo Wild Wings is also in on the game. They've got two restaurants that offer a jewel stool. That's a chair with a cooling function to, quote, chill both your jewels while you sit at the bar. Nice. Game on. And that's all for Skim This. Thank you so much for tuning in and spending your evenings with us. Be sure to hit subscribe if you haven't yet and leave us a review wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget, nominate your woman of the week by calling us tonight and leaving us a message at 646 646- for a chance to be featured on tomorrow's show.